Good morning. This is Cheryl Linker. Welcome to this Saturday's edition of the Master Gardener Hour on America's Web Radio. And I'd like to introduce Libby Lintel, who is a fellow Master Gardener, and also she is the Garden Coordinator for the Chattahoochee Nature Center's really unbelievably cool Unity Garden. Good morning, Libby. Hey, good morning, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And when I say the Unity Garden is really a cool place, I remember the first time I saw it, I hoped I was going to get to work in the Unity Garden. I volunteer at the Nature Center, and Libby, it's your baby, isn't it? Well, it, it definitely has been a and continues to be a labor of love. It's fun to watch it evolve. I, I started when it uh, was kind of halfway built, so it was pretty rough. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Converting it gosh. from a field into a garden. Well, it's... Um, well, we're going to talk about some of the details of the garden, but I'd kind of like to let our listeners get to know you a little bit and just kind of know how you got into horticulture and because you've kind of had – Libby's bio is, like, incredibly interesting, but just tell us about yourself. Well, I I really have a love of plants that goes back to when I was growing up in Miami. Um, my dad was kind of an intuitive gardener, and he, without really any training, was able to design just a beautiful backyard. And I, over time, I just really came to love it. So several years down the line in my career, I wanted to begin learning more about gardening. So I got involved planting in my own yard. That mm-hmm. was the first step. And, and moving to Georgia was, was a great thing because I, the climate here enables you to grow so many things, things you can't try in Miami, things you can't do further north. So I played around in my yard, and then I, I learned about Master Gardeners, and I went to um, some of the demonstration gardens that they used to have mm-hmm. and, and thought that this would be a great way to learn. So I started out really formally learning about gardening from the Master Gardener program. Yeah, and we we have listeners all over the country, you know, California, Texas, and the majority of them are Master Gardeners, so they, you know, we all know and appreciate the cheap gardening education that we got through that program. So you did that in Georgia? Yes, I did that, and that was back when they had the training for my county at the Atlanta Botanical Gardens, so that was a Oh, you got lucky. Yeah, it was gorgeous. So it was a couple days a week, and... Uh, anyway, it was it was wonderful because after the after the morning session, you could walk around the gardens. So, I mean, I think we all have somebody that inspires us. So it was your dad. Yeah, it really was my dad and his his kind of intuitive feeling for flair for plants and 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 all the different things he tried to grow. Um, you know, and before you came to the Nature Center, um, you were an educator. And you, you know, so you've been teaching after you, were you a master gardener before you were a teacher? Yeah, I actually, after after um, taking the master gardener program, I, I love that. I wanted more. So I started taking courses at one of our local technical colleges and uh, just started taking courses in horticulture there. And then when I was getting close to finishing that, the teaching opportunity opened up and it was sort of a chance to combine two loves the right, thought of right, teaching right. and plants. So I I had already started the Master Gardener thing well before teaching. Okay, so does every public school have a horticultural department? No, it's I this is it's kind of a shame. We've we've really lost a lot of them lately and I think it's um it's sort of it's sort of a sad thing. And in, in in the county that I'm in it's kind of a suburban urban county and, and it just uh with, with some of the funding challenges of the recent years that those are programs that have 
had been lost, at least for now. Did the kids take to it? They they enjoy it. I think it's um it's it's a challenge in mm-hmm. in some of these counties. I think I mean is it like in my day home ec and woodshop and that was your like easy class? Well, or that's where's yours challenging. This is, this is mine was challenging, but I think that's where some of the um not to overuse the word challenge, but that's where some of the um the challenge comes in um in in Cobb County where where I was a teacher, we have wonderful offerings of electives in the courses, and there, there are just so many choices for the kids of what they're going to take. And um, with, uh, with horticulture programs, um, they're, I think they're very, very important, but the focus on a lot of these programs has become career training and career education. So they, Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, So and that's good. I, I mean, mean did good. you, like, start and kind of, like, mimic the Master Gardening Program and start with – you know, soil preparation and, you know, IPS and, you know, all the different topics and go through it? Or how did you, or did you focus on just growing? Um, well, I definitely drew on the background in the Master Garden Program and also my um, my coursework at North Metro Tech. But all the courses that they offer in agriculture and horticulture have curriculum that you're supposed to follow, mm-hmm. that's, that you're supposed to be guided. So I had to, in my programs, and I offered four different courses over the years when I was there, um, I would really be guided by the overall curriculum okay. and then try to draw on hands-on experiences from some of my own hands-on experiences and, okay. and then broaden broaden okay. that as I went, went along. Okay. Well, that it's, it's just I, I think it's something that the kids really um, – I know it – Wheeler High School. My son went to Wheeler High School, and they had a pretty infamous fellow that was the Hort teacher yeah, he's, there. He's a friend of mine. Yeah, and I just and I think he was hugely successful. I mean, you know, I think the kids liked it. They had plant sales that mm-hmm. they sold yeah. like tons of plants, and you know, everybody I knew went to Wheeler High School and yeah. bought their geraniums or whatever that they grew there. So. Yeah, and that's and I'm glad to say that's one of the I think that two or three schools that, that still has a horticulture program in, in Cobb. Okay, well, that's so, good. So that's and that's, that's uh, got to be a great, you know, because of his legacy, basically. And who was that? I forgot uh, his name. Uh, Dr. Walt Griffith. Yeah, Walt Griffith. Okay, okay. I know that's that's a good good thing to know about. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Unity Garden. Um, tell us about it. And I love the name. Did you name it? I did not name it. No, so it, it predated me. Named. Okay, yes. so it predated you. But I, one of our, I believe one of the staffers at the Nature Center, the horticulturist Lisa Cole, came up with it, with the name. Yeah, so. I love the name. I I like it, and it's just such a cool looking garden. And I had forgotten about um, some of the cool art that's in it. But so, how did it get going? Well, um, the the garden started in 2010 and basically I from what I understand because I wasn't there at the very beginning right. um, they were looking for a way to this is the Chattahoochee Nature Center to give back to the local community and the a garden seemed like a, a great idea they had some extra land that wasn't used very much on the property it was just a playing field which meant mowing and all regular mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maintenance so they were able to take a parcel of that and develop it into the garden. And in order to do that, they needed funding. So they, they were able to get a nice startup grant and a few subsequent grants from Kaiser Permanente. So that so really it was that grant plus the availability of land 
that enable the garden to get started. The Nature Center does an incredible job of getting funding. I mean, it's just for you guys that don't know what the heck we're talking about. Um, the Nature Center is um, 127 acres on the Chattahoochee River in North Atlanta, and it's um, a native plant sanctuary with ponds, and it's used for education and for special events and for camp and all kinds of cool things. So it's just really kind of like a little jewel. And because it touches so many different kind of people, I think the Nature Center um, is very well endowed with with generous gifts because, I mean, I guess we all took our kids there, you know, on a regular basis when they were little, so when they grew up there. And it's and it's really grown and changed since back back when I brought my kids, it was a, oh, it was a duck pond with a great gift shop. And I know, now I know, lot, yeah, lot more I'm, to offer. Yeah, I've got a 27 year old that we used to go and uh, you just hang out there because he loved it and stay on that boardwalk trail. So you said earlier, how big is it? It's a quarter acre? Yeah, it's it's a little bit bigger than a quarter acre, but not quite a third of an acre. Okay, so that's pretty big. I mean, it's it's, it's bigger than one person could handle by, by themselves with the way that we have it planted, because it's pretty intensively planted. We try to make use of a lot of, all the space we can. Okay, okay. So you're, you know, I just kind of looked the the goals really are to produce as much food as you can and get it to the public, correct? Yeah, one of, one of the unique things about the garden is that from the very beginning, and I didn't mention this earlier, but it wasn't just about building a, building a garden, making use of a grant, but our, our initial and, and remaining, our, our goal is to produce food, and we donate all the food that we grow, um, the vegetables and fruits and, and also herbs, Two North Fulton Community Charities. They have a food pantry, and I probably make two or three trips a week up there with our, our harvest of the week. So our, our primary goal is to produce healthy food and provide it to a food pantry that then distributes to people that are experiencing food insecurity. Okay, so the food pantry is one place, and so the people, you take food, all your your harvest to one place, and then people come to that and pick it up it's not redistributed out right no i don't think so it, okay it, and it's it's set up so that it's it's meant to help meet the needs of the families that participate so it's not kind of a come and pick up free food basically the families that are serviced through north fulton community charities are they're 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 trying to meet their needs on many levels so, so they, they're they they're, they're registered every 10 families days. they're already identified families yeah. that work with that organization for that are that are needing some assistance okay. In, okay in terms of food at least and they can come once every 10 days and pick up pick up food from the pantry for their family for, for a few days and it's mainly dry goods canned goods in fact i know they're needing more right now i just got a got a letter that they're running a little yeah i saw that so they so it's not just your fresh no, produce it's all type we're of kind of like the the bonus that mm-hmm. goes into their bag when when it's all filled up with the cans and the dry goods we we provide the bulk of the fresh food that they get um wow at the, and it's 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 a significant amount we're taking over it's about eight or nine thousand pounds a year. We we grow year round, so we're you know we're usually bringing a couple hundred pounds a week if we can, and then like I said, they distribute it to the to their clients. 
So it's basically fresh picked, and you it's near you because it's in Roswell, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. it's, so you just drive same there day, same afternoon. Wow, makes the ride in my car. That I mean, you know, that really that's so good. I mean, and obviously the recipients. I mean. That is a bonus in their bag if they're getting, you know, just the basic staples, you know. It's huge for them. And and a number of them um, have health issues where maybe they don't want things like the the sodium or things that you might find in canned foods. So Mm -hmm. being Mm -hmm. able to to get the fresh food, um, local fresh food, is, is just so important for a lot of the people that are there. And I think it's really interesting now that I'm just sitting here, I want to go with you sometime and see that because I think you envision, you know, going into your produce section in the grocery store and you can get like lettuce every uh, every day of the year and you can get, uh, you know, any fruit you want you know, 365 because it's grown somewhere in the world. But you really specialize in, you know, what's growing now so they – they can't always get yeah, it's their a, very favorite it's a great, thing. It's a great learning opportunity for for me, certainly learning what is what is seasonal and what is in season right, um, by right. running a garden. But that's Libby, we're going to take a little break and come right back, and we'll get back with Libby in just a second. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. Elena George with your health tip of the day. Did you know that allergy season in Georgia is year-round? Beginning in July through November, ragweed is the predominant pollen. But February through May, tree pollen causes allergy symptoms. Grass pollen occurs from mid-May through the beginning of July. If you suffer from daily nasal congestion, sneezing, runny nose, headache, ear clogging, or popping, or a chronic cough, these symptoms may be due to allergy and not infection. You should also think of allergies if there is no fever, chills, or colored mucus. Treatment should include nasal salt water sprays over the counter or antihistamines that do not cause drowsiness. If you have persistent headaches, a decrease in your sense of smell, or nosebleeds, you should see an ear, nose, and throat physician. Please join me on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for Medicine on Call. This is Dr. Elena George. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm back with Libby Lintel, and we are talking about the Unity Garden, which is a huge, a lot of people call them plant rose, or it's not a community garden because it's focused in Libby is runs this, but we are talking about the distribution of all the produce that they do. So back to the seasonal things. How Let's kind of like talk about... Um, the way that you kind of transition your garden from spring to fall, summer to winter, and a little bit about that. Sure. We I, One of the great things about Georgia is that we can grow year-round. And so I look at the garden really in terms of warm season and cool season. Okay. So the, the warm season crops are the ones that 
generally we're going to be planning in um, April, maybe putting in in May. Sometimes we get a little bit behind the schedule, and sometimes they're going in in June. But those are the ones that are um, the ones that most people think of as what they love to eat in the summer, the tomatoes, the peppers, the eggplants, squash, cucumbers, and all of that. And that's that's over half of our production is what we grow over the summer. The cool season crops really start up for us. We we start ordering seeds and planting some of them as early as July. So it's they we need to get them started so we can start getting them in the ground, in some cases in August. And those run for us all the way general not all not every single crop but things like the lettuces we we replant them over the season and they run all the way for us until late april sometimes early may this this was a very cool spring for us this year so we got to keep our cool season crops going longer they didn't start to bolt or um, right right things like that so we actually had a wonderful cool season experience um oh that's going going all the way through spring summer for us is a little more challenging this year well, you know, I don't know. Well, you've heard me kind of moan and complain about it all summer, but we have had so much rain in the state of Georgia that I think we're going to, I think there are five years in the history of recorded rainfall that we we are right tagging. We're, we may surpass those. That's, those it has five. been something with that. and. Um, we've we've been lucky in a way. I don't think there are that many crops that we've we've lost because of rain. I I, I was listening to something, reading an article recently, and they talked about how the okra crop in Georgia was going to be negatively affected. And at the time, we hadn't even planted our okra, so I saw some of the we, okra. Yeah, that you we guys just started our okra harvest now. It's not going to be abundant because we get got a late start on it. But okra is kind of neat because at least our experience is that it can produce right up to frost. So in the next month and a half two months we should be getting okra but it for us the the net result i think of all the rain is is that we just have much lower yields than we've we've ever had and and we haven't really lost plants but it, we're just not getting the production that they're we just were not expecting the, they're ju- not as like tomatoes aren't as big or uh, plants aren't as big I because think of the rain or what i think it's it's not really the size. It's it's just a combination of it might be lack of pollination in some cases, and we're we just don't have as much. Um, mm-hmm. where, whereas mm-hmm. one year we might produce 100, 200 pounds out of a row. This year we're producing half as much. Wow. wow. Same same plants. We rotated right. our crops. You know everything's about the same. So we're going to really have to get a, have a wonderful fall to, well, to match our well, numbers. We, 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 I know you're going to. I kind of want to back up a little bit. I think I kind of got like skipped kind of my train of thought for a second, but I want to talk to Libby about um, her greenhouse, her starting her seeds, and, you know, how everything works because you were saying you were ordering your seeds. And I kind of like to know, you know, how you choose exactly what seed and what kind, you know, what type of seed and well, let's absolutely. talk about that. I am, one of the things I realized when I first started is that I needed some computer help to play mm-hmm. in the garden. We have we have eight rows and a lot of field areas, and I needed to have a way to record keep. So the first thing I do is I have a computer program that's an online program that what, I use. What's that called? Because our called, listeners. It's a single word. It's called GrowVeg, like the word vegetable, dot mm-hmm. com. And it's an annual subscription that's $25, which we can we can spring for that one. Mm-hmm. And it will allow me to archive plans. Not, not everyone, but I save a kind of like a hard copy, if you will, of my garden plan designs every two weeks so I can look back 
and make decisions in the garden, seeing what I did last year or where, where what was that tomato row and, and things like that. So that's that for me is the starting point as I look at last year's plants and try to think about, you know, what do I want to grow this year? Are there certain crops I want to try more of because they did well or because we have to cut back on other crops? Um, after that, um, most of our things, we do start from seeds. We have a greenhouse. That would That's that, that's essential to right, do all the seed right. starting, especially when you're trying to start things for April and it's really cold outside. Um, we use one company primarily for seeds. Um, we're happy with them, and it also saves us on shipping. Um, if we mul- ordered from multiple companies, right, we'd have shipping sense. charges. So we use Johnny Seeds, and they, mm-hmm. they have a wide variety of, of seeds. Um, part of record keeping for me is I also keep track of how many pounds per square foot that we produce by variety. So what I try to do is is go with the winners. You do it by square foot, how many pounds you produce? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I on my computer that's math. That's hot math. Well, okay. no, no, you got a spreadsheet. You just set okay. up the formulas. Okay. But I've got um, – it's not that hard. But I've, when I whenever I make a change in the garden physically – I go down or go hit the computer and I'll update my plan um, Mm -hmm. so I can say, okay, the tomatoes are gone and the lettuces are in. And then each different variety, because the garden's measured, is assigned, you know, how many square feet do we give it? And then it's just just simple division in a Mm -hmm. spreadsheet. So I will look back at the last year and see what were my top producers and we want to continue some of those. And then I like to throw in some fun varieties just to try them. So this, this year my fun variety was a, a little tomato. It's a, it's a hybrid, and it's called Indigo Rose, and it just looks so pretty in the catalog. It's a small... I love the name. That's yeah, it, it was interesting, and, and it jumped out right as, right as we started growing tomatoes. There was one variety, this is before the fruit, that started to have blackish-purple leaves, and, and I, that was the Indigo Rose. And then the tomato itself is a little bit bigger than a cherry, but it's got a black, half purpley black, half red. But the reason I'm saying this is that one of the things I'm learning is that when you try the new variety that looks good in the catalog, mm-hmm. it's it's not always going to be your best producer. And marketing, and, marketing, marketing. And yeah, darned if those indigo roses didn't burn out. <laughs> that's one. That's one of the only tomatoes that I don't think I have a plant left on that one. So, but so again, by gone. having the records next year, we're not going to be doing that particular okay. variety. Okay, so when you start your when you have your seed trays. And because I just like whenever I go in this greenhouse, I just forget the plants that we are working on. I just always look at the vegetables. And so just give me an example. When you have a seed tray, um, only the strong survive. I mean, how how many seeds do you plant that what percentage of the seeds that you plant do you put actually out in the garden? Is, have you ever kind of figured yeah, oh that yeah. out? Well, I, again, it kind of comes back to the to the spreadsheet and planning and things like mm-hmm. that. I usually know about how many tomato plants I want. Say I might want 100 tomato plants in a row. So I'll try to plant about, if I can, about 20% above what I think I okay. need. And that's, okay. that's partly because one of the things that we do in this garden is we donate plants. So when we have extra plants after we've taken care of what we wanted to plant in the garden, we donate those to um, elementary schools that we have contacts with, sometimes master gardener programs that right, they're sponsoring. Right. So usually most of our plants that don't go in our garden don't end up on our compost pile. They end up going out to the to somebody to the community right. to help out. So it's it's okay. Seeds are pretty inexpensive. But we get good we have good success and we have pretty good germination 
Most That's of, good. Most of the seed packages will tell you, you know, ninety over ninety percent germination. Okay. And the greenhouse that that Libby uses is, um, you know, clean and doesn't have any. Well, it's not. When, when I say clean, I don't mean clean, clean. But I mean it doesn't have any rampant disease through it or any. You've, have you ever had any problems like that? That you lost things in the greenhouse? Um, oh yeah. Um, we. One of the things that I've tried to do, not so much. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> in fact, our our problem of uh, Earlier this year in January was uh, a greenhouse rodent um, came in and ate all our beet seedlings. Oh, but that's we, nasty but my, my clever boss was able to figure out kind of an ingenious solution that involved hanging, creating these kind of rope suspension things to hang the trays kind of from some of the, the greenhouse beams, right. and that, that, that took care of it. Um, but, no, I try to – I'm also – I also, over the years of working with this, have tried to become best better at – the timing. So I try to set it up so that I'm only keeping my plants in the greenhouse about two to six weeks, depending on the plant. If it's like a cucumber, it's out. So I try not to have them linger too long in the greenhouse because if they stay for a while, they usually, the aphids will appear. Okay. So you get them out. You get them out. That's that's my, that's my strategy is to try to not have them spend too much time in the greenhouse. You know, the, um, you know, talking about donating, like Cobb County has I think 27 junior master gardener programs in various elementary schools. I mean, so that, you know, when you are the extra, it's really good that if you're growing extra that they aren't going on the compost pile, that they're getting out there. And I know you sell some of them at the nature centers, um, native plant sale, at least a lot of the herbs. You, mm-hmm. so that's, that's great. So the, I will say though, if I can add, we're we're hoping to, if if possible, we always have dr- big dreams, so we don't right. know when we're going to get there. But well, one is, of our one of our big dreams is to add a second greenhouse, and and to the property, and then kind of to piggyback with that, one of the things we've talked about is is since we would have more space, is being able to actually grow plants. Not necessarily for donation, but to be able to grow them very inexpensively, and then kind of again hook in with some of these different schools that have school gardens and maybe be their their grower and be able to provide them right, right, with right. Uh, on time just on time uh plants for their for their school gardens oh that would be great so do you would you ever consider giving um an actual tomato plant to one of the clients at the food bank we do that. We um, once a year we participate in their health fair. They just they just had okay. a health fair in August, and we um, we took a bunch of fresh herbs, bush, bushels and bushels of them, and also plants, and and donated and kind of them. give them like the education. Yeah, teach them how to do this. A little bit. Okay. Um, but most most of the people when they come to pick up the food, they're they've got bags and bags of food, so it'd be hard for them to to carry home a little plant in the bag. <laughs> Oh, okay, got so, it, got it, got it. Okay, so we're going to talk about, I guess, two of the things um, that I really want to talk about I or your fertilization and, you know, having an organic garden and um, how that works. And if you're, you know, use a lot of fertilization and how you get things going. Okay. Well, I, I have to say, out in the garden, it's we we are not an organic garden. Okay. So, um, okay. Not not that we wouldn't we we like the idea of organic well, I'm not gardens. A, I'm not but, an orga- um, organic 
totally organic yeah. gardener either. So, so we, we try to keep our pesticide use minimal. And, and when we go with pesticides, which I know you asked about fertilizers, but right. we, we are always looking for an organic product to use if we feel that we need to use it at all. But the real area where we're not organic is in fertilization. And it's and there are several reasons for it. Um, one of them is that we we really intensively crop our garden. So most of our rows and... What our, does crop your garden mean? Um, I probably just made that term up. Okay. <laughs> what I, what we're we're going to take a little bitty break, and I'm going to maybe in the time off find out what crop your garden means. We'll be back with the Master Gardener Hour in just a minute. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com. The best in chat radio designed just for you. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Hi, this is Cheryl Linker, and I'm back with Libby Lintel of the Unity Garden at the Nature Center, and we're kind of talking about um, different things and some of Libby's um, techniques that she uses in her garden that produce so much food for the community food banks. But, Libby, we're talking about um, using fertilization, and it's not always, um, you know, organic so and i you know we have the pros and cons and we have a lot of things going that aren't organic so let's talk about it okay well basically in our garden i I made up a word i i I said we i forget how i put it but we we intensively plant our garden so all of our beds are planted probably and replanted probably with three or four crops a year so we're constantly putting in something like tomatoes, and then when the tomatoes are gone, we were going to place them with broccoli, and then when the broccoli's gone, we replace it with lettuce. And that's a lot of nutrients being taken up by a lot of plants right, over right. the years. So we we know that we have to provide a lot of nitrogen. Um, and so for us, the size that we are and the level of volunteer support and everything else, it has just been most practical for us to use just good old 10-10-10, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we'll apply that maybe once or twice uh, per crop when it when we're growing and it's it's economical it's it's efficient and that's where we're at um down the line it it kind of depends on if we make some changes in our garden we 
we might consider organic alternatives. But yeah, you just don't have the luxury of like you know rotating crops and you know like doing a cover crop or any of the things that we learn to do. And that, and that's not going to just pack in tons of nitrogen anyway. Right. Um, we I mean we do certainly rotate our crops, but a lot of the organic products that we've looked at and, and used at some point we used we used worm castings, we right. used uh, hen manure. A lot of that stuff is. Barely one one one, and the amount seriously, seriously, and the amount that you need to, that. yeah, some of them don't don't even list it on the package because it's under one one one. It's wonderful for your soil, so I, I highly recommend it as a soil conditioner. But, but if you need the nitrogen, it's low, and and you really, according to, I did a little research on it because we are always asked about organic, and it, the recommended application rate is to to spread it about an inch high on top of your on top of your beds every time you're planting in order to get the amount of nitrogen. The warm castings or yeah. something like that. Yeah, and we've, okay. we've got pretty low. We have raised beds with quotation marks around the word raised beds. They're only about two inches tall. So if, if we're trying to add three inches a year on top of that, it, it just would kind of be spilling out and, and plus expensive for us. So at this point, we're, we're holding with our 10, 10, 10 and, and getting good production. We also do soil testing every year. We send it through yeah, the extension office. I was going to ask office. you, do you, you do it only once a year? Yeah, we we haven't felt like it's necessary to do it more often, but we usually send out, we do a couple areas, and we send out our samples in, in January and, and make it make adjustments basically we've we've tried to adjust for ph a little bit and then this year we've been trying to um adjust for being um a little bit low in potassium so we've been trying to trying so to what, fix what that what are you doing on that well we've been experimenting that's what we do in the garden um we've we tried the most economical which was to get people to bring in their wood ashes um and we applied some wood ashes around and when those ran out when the fire fire ashes were cleaned out mm-hmm. we've been we've been adding a product called sulpomag that that the extension mm-hmm. office recommended mm-hmm. and we'll see um it's hard to this the Smith Gilbert Rose Garden, they ask for wood ashes for their roses for well, potassium. Yeah, and, and I, I, we've always been low. We, this is our third year of testing, and it was just the first year where I thought, let's address it um, and see if we can kind of bring that number back into the desirable range. I'd be curious, after you harvest and before you plant, if it changed how drastically your soil changed. I'm going to be real curious to see too. I I don't I I don't think potassium. I'm not a, not a chemist, but I think really the um the nitrogen is the one that really gets pulled out and used a lot by the plants. So I think once we fix our potassium deficiency, I'm hoping that it's going to be relatively stable. But yeah, I don't even know because when we applied the wood ashes, um we didn't get a chance to till it in sometimes. We just lightly spread it, and some of that may have just washed away with some of our rains and things. So, right, right. So you did that for so the first time this year? We, Yeah, that's what we were doing in the early spring when people still had <laughs> some ashes to okay. bring in. We, okay. I literally got the volunteers to scrape that's good. out their fireplaces. That's good. That's good. Well, um, that, volunteer, just that word, the segue into I really want to talk about who does the work in your garden and how that works and, you know, just – Kind of. Sure. And I, I did want to correct a little bit. We really are a community garden. Um, oh, you are? I, yeah. Okay. I, I I was kind of 
puzzled over the what is a community garden, but there's many, many different forms of community gardens around the okay. country. We're just not the kind that involves individual people owning or renting plots. But we we are we that's part of the I think the beauty of the the name the Unity Garden. Um, we are many people helping out um, in the garden to grow food and, and donate it. So we are we are a community garden. Absolutely, and that's, I stand totally correct. The, that yeah. makes sense. Yes, and the, a good concept. But the bulk of the work, um, well, I, I always want to have, I always want to be right in there with my volunteers, but the bulk of the work is really done by volunteers. I'm a, I'm a part-time staffer, and I kind of oversee the garden design and, and kind of try to be a taskmaster, mm-hmm. <laughs> mistress of what we get done every day. But it really wouldn't work very well if we didn't have a lot of volunteers coming in. And mm-hmm. we're, we have about, it's about 3,000 hours a year of, of volunteer, wow, that's volunteer time. And they're, they're a mixture of people. Some of them are adults that have some morning available time that want to come out. Some of them are um, philanthropic youth and adult groups. Um, we have sometimes um, universities and also corporate groups sometimes that want to come out just for a, you know, like a, a company community service day, that kind of thing. So those are those are the different types of volunteers that we have in the garden. Do your companies ever come out? Do they come out on the weekends or the weekdays? Usually, it's, it can be both, but usually they, they tend to pick, say, a Friday afternoon from okay. from 1 to 4. So it's kind of, a, you know, work in the office in the morning and then go get out and done and then go out yeah, and, and that, play in the dirt. Yeah, and I've, I've learned over time to try to steer them away from that type of situation in the summertime when it's really hot. Um, but but from the you know in the fall and in the spring that that works out real well for us. I will say also in the summertime, we've had some some scouts and and we 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 really couldn't get the job done without a lot of young people that are free out of school coming in the morning. So um, they they're here with parents, but um, that's a huge source of uh, volunteer support that we have in the summer. That's good. That's good. So the. Um do you give them any type of training, or do they have it? Sure. It, it really varies per group. If it's a if it's a corporate group coming out for kind of a one-time, well, I'd love them to come back, first of all. So I, I want to have any group that comes out be able to go home and say, man, I learned something today, and that was great. Um, so if it's a kind of a one-time group, I usually will give them a 20-minute or so it, out of a three-hour visit, uh, maybe a 20-minute or so, walk around the garden, show them what we're doing, tell them about the plants, and try to answer their questions. And then we kind of get to work on a variety of things. The adults that I consider regular um, come from a whole wide range of experience. Some of them are experienced master gardeners with vegetable experience, and some are just novices that would like to come out. And I I always work with the volunteers, so kind of my my learning becomes their learning. Um, if they if they're on time, mm-hmm. then we do the same thing. We'll walk around the garden, walk around the greenhouse. I'll point out the bug that's doing a little too much damage, or show them look how great this looks. And then we get to work. Um, if they're late, they miss that a little bit. Right, right. But right. Um, but yeah, it's the same kind of thing. I I try to share anything that I'm currently learning or I've learned with the new volunteers and. Some of them have gone out and um, helped with other gar- garden projects, kind of as as alums of the Unity Garden. Um, right. Even well, I know a couple. Experience. I know, you know, some of the master gardeners. I, I know master gardeners that work there, and it's like really their favorite thing to do. I mean, they like. Well, thanks. They like, you know, just the whole idea of growing 
and producing and donating. So, I mean, I think that's why they like it. Hey, you know what you haven't had to have any volunteers do this summer? Water. That is true. <laughs> that's that good. Is true. That's good. That's um, a good thing. Yeah, it is. Although I, I think we could start using it about now. It's been a little dry. Yeah, I know. God, I, I thought about that. I'm going down to Florida this weekend, and all of a sudden I'm going, I've had maybe I should turn my irrigation system back on or maybe I should like get my cousin who's going to dog sit to come over and water some of my plants because yeah. I think it's we, gonna, we've, been, we've been in a way kind of spoiled by all the rain right, and, and now right. we've got to start reacting to it well tell us while we're talking about volunteers give us some of your um, contact information on how people that are interested in the metro area of volunteering at the unity garden uh, sure. If I think the best thing to do if you're interested, because you don't have to write or, write anything down or remember it, is just to go visit the Chattahoochee Nature Center website. Right. Um, if you, it's got a lot of links all around it. But if you if you find the link for volunteer, that will put you in touch with um, some paperwork to fill out. And right. eventually, if you've checked off the box saying community garden, it'll it'll work work its, its way to me. And I'll, it eventually finds Libby. Okay. But the uh, I think the important thing is that for the most part. Um, this is a morning activity, uh, weekday mornings, and that's that has a lot to do with just the comfort, depending on the temperature, and also right. the fact that on any given day we may be harvesting, and it's important to get the food over to the pantry the same day. We don't have refrigeration. So mornings have, have just worked out the best so that we can do whatever we need to do and get the food over to the pantry. So if, if, you're, if a person has morning availability um, during the week, Mm-hmm. We'd, mm-hmm. we'd love to have. We'd love to have more volunteers. Okay. So I want to talk about when you actually harvest. Let's talk about um, how you – everybody's favorite I thing mean, you to have do. Your, I mean, it's got to be everybody's favorite thing to do. It is. It is. We um, – yeah, depending on uh, what we've got. In fact, yesterday we, we harvest a whole wide variety of things. Um, but when we harvest um, – We've got a variety of wooden baskets, bushels and half bushels, and we've got some pruners and things like that. And um, some of it's standing up, some of it's kneeling down when you're cutting back lettuces. Um, everything that we harvest, we, we account for, though. So all those different varieties. Um, I think we had about 25 different kinds of tomatoes this year, and sometimes we have that many lettuces. They all have to be weighed. So we have kind of a cute primitive scale. <laughs> it's a baby scale. Um, so we, we weigh everything by variety. And um, then we wash it up and bag it, and, and like I said, it goes off to the food pantry. Do you take it in, like, grocery sacks or bushel baskets? Um, or what it do depends, you, on, the, it depends it? on the product. It, it generally takes the ride of my car in bushel baskets, but um, if it's lettuce, greens, all those winter things, kale, collards, those those we wash and we, we put in, uh, they're called T-shirt bags. They're just kind of white, like a grocery store bag. Right, right. Um, and that helps the pantry distribute it. Okay. In that way, but the the other things like tomatoes and eggplants, those just those just ride in a ride in a basket. Okay, so what's the favorite crop at the food bank? What's the favorite thing that when you walk in there, people just get excited about? Well, I, my main contact at the food bank or food pantry is is really with the volunteers because there's kind of a layer of different levels when you go back there. And I hope you will come out. And okay, visit. It's, it's real interesting to see. Um, they just love getting getting beautiful, you know, healthy local food. 
Um, I'd say probably tomatoes are a big favorite, um, beans. Uh, but we we really we can't grow tomatoes year-round, as you know. Right, so right, um, right. We're, we're trying. We're kind of on a mission partly because of our partnership with Kaiser yeah. Permanente to, to provide good, healthy variety okay. of food. Okay, Libby, we're going to take a break. And believe it or not, we're going to be back with our last segment of the Master Gardener Hour. Quick Stakes. That's Q-U-I-K Stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government as well as those involved in legal cases have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and we're back with the Master Gardener Hour, and I'm here with Libby Lintel, and we are talking about the Unity Garden and all the cool things and wonderful harvests that they donate. And, you know, this doesn't happen, Libby, without sponsors. And I think that it's really, really key to know what do you have a budget? that you need to raise every year? Yeah, we definitely we definitely do. We try to keep our expenses very low. We try to use uh, recycle things if we can mm-hmm. and and like I said, part of the part of our fertilizing the choice has to do with uh, budget and finances. Um is that your question again, though? I think I lost track a no, little bit. No, no, I'm asking. In terms of, do we do have, or, yeah, I we mean, do have, have a budget. A, We've been lucky from the beginning that we um, – I know Kaiser is your signature. Kaiser has been wonderfully good to us and has helped provide us with um, a startup grant and then some subsequent grants. Um, but we're we're always kind of on the hunt. It's it's kind of a unique thing because when you have a garden that's a community garden and you give everything away, you, you know you still have you know ongoing ongoing needs. So we've we've been able to find some um, donations and. Um, from from some other sponsors and another one that's been a huge help for us has been Whole Foods. They've been right. partnering with us 
um, in fundraising activities, and we've got one coming up that we're kind of excited about. Tell us about it. We're gonna we're gonna be doing our second annual. The first one was a great fun event. Uh, second annual Harvest on the Hoot um, okay. Garden fundraiser, and we started this last year. It's gonna be very similar, but it's um it's a should be hopefully a gorgeous Sunday afternoon That's in October. Yeah, and the, the dry October month. Yes, we're hoping for the same perfect weather we had last year. It's a family-friendly event, and it runs, uh, I think, from 3 to 6 in the afternoon. Okay. And what we what we do is we have a – it's going to be close to a dozen local chefs, chefs that particularly grow seasonal and maybe farm-to-table food, um, also caterers. So it's, that's part of the whole group. They, they set up – um, kind of booths in the grassy area next to the garden, and we set up tables. Um, and Whole Foods is there with their own tent with with delicious desserts and appetizers. And there's beer and wine, and um, they're going to be some alpacas. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's and then of course it's right next to the garden. Um, so people that are joining us to the event. Uh, we've got music. Um, people that are joining us will be able to walk through the garden. Hopefully, we'll be looking its best. We've right, got some, right. Got some fall flowers planted and working on our fall crops, and enjoy tasting some some delicious um, dishes from from the local restaurants. And um, there are going to be some games and things for kids. So it's so a, that's it's your a great, that's your primary fundraiser. That we're hoping to develop it into something over time that can really help sustain the garden and make the garden itself sustainable. We're, we're, we've got a ways to go, but we're hoping to have a, an increase over last year and kind of move in the direction of, of perhaps making that our primary fundraiser. So we'd love for people to come if anybody's in Okay, that and the date area. of that is? It's October 13th. Okay, and, and you can from, find that on the you can find Chattahoochee that Nature Center the website, and well. there's ticket information. Um, we also are welcoming sponsorships if any, okay. any corporate People want to sponsor us, and um, we've even got some special VIP tables uh, um, that we've arranging as well. So we're we're hoping to move towards becoming more sustainable and less reliant on grants. But in the meantime, we're we're very very right. grateful for right. all the funding that we get, and and we we try to put the money to the very best use we can. To if somebody wanted to, this is just pie in the sky, but you know who knows if you don't ask. If somebody wanted to buy every single one of your packs of seeds how much would that cost them that's really hard to say because we we buy seeds all year round so it's kind of an ongoing thing i i'm actually i'm not really sure what that is in our budget but it's definitely over two thousand dollars a year okay just seeds so if somebody Um, wanted to donate two thousand they could buy a lot of seeds for you guys that would help us and and then it trickles trickles out to the community because of the fact that we donate some of the some of the seedlings Right, right let's yeah i think we need to come up with a number of poundage that you guys I read somewhere some crazy number that I was like shocked at how much you actually produce over the history of the garden is that a published number or am I dreaming oh yeah no we um we the, the big debate between my boss and I is whether we should present the number in tons or pounds and we're, we're on opposite sides but we um we've I'm going to go I'm the pound person but we've we've produced over 25,000 pounds and we're kind of closing in on on 26,000 since wow. we started so we're like I said we we're doing about 8,000 
pounds or so a year. This or 13 tons. Well, right. <laughs> you're gonna, yes, exactly. Right, right. So um, it's, a, it's a lot of food, and, and we, we like I said, we keep it growing year-round. So it slows down a bit, but we're still harvesting collards and kale and, and chard and, and things kind of all through the winter, and even lettuces. Do you ever take anything? I don't know what made me think of this, but I sometimes get off track. But do you ever take things to donate that the people don't know what to do with, that you have to, like, give them a recipe or explain to them what it is or how to use it? We we actually, a couple of years ago, it was tied in with our grant. We did take over some recipes um, for kind of what I would have considered somewhat ordinary things, but we were trying to combine food pantry ingredients with um what we're growing in the garden. So oh, that, that makes somebody, total sense. And okay. we had them translate into Spanish because a lot okay. of the clientele is a primary Spanish speaking. Um, yeah, I think one of them, one of the examples was a recipe for Mizuna and ramen noodle salad. Um, so we did that. We did that for a year. Uh, we still have the recipes that are over there. Um, we, we haven't continued it. We try to focus on growing things we know people are going to eat. So the, the things that are things. Things that are unusual, we have a kind of a back section of the garden where we have things like artichoke, Mm -hmm. um, and we have a patch of kohlrabi and some fennel. But we don't take that over in in any big quantity, so usually it gets in the hands of the people that, that want it. The same thing with the herbs. We've kind of honed down the herbs that we grow to maybe about 12 different herbs that are we know people are going to use. The first yeah. year we, we grew some unusual ones and um, things like we took over baskets of catnip, um, so which you can make a tea out of. Right. But we, we've kind of have gotten away from that and are really just growing the, you know, kind of the common culinary things. Okay. Well, that, that makes sense. I mean, the the... Another thing I wanted to, do you ever collect, you were talking about pollinating, and I know this is kind of a little bit off, but you were talking about pollination. Do you ever collect seeds from your crops and use them, or do you start with new seeds every year? Well, we, we've been season. saving some of our flower seeds um, because the garden is actually a, we do we do a lot of companion planting right, in right. there. So we've got and that's a lot. Why it's such a lovely to look yeah, at. Yeah, we try garden. to get it. It's for me. It's it's largely visual, but we have a lot of flowers. We we save seeds from marigolds, and we're gonna probably we've got some calendula seeds saved. But a lot of the plants that we're growing are hybrids, and you can't really save the seeds for, for some of those because you're not going to be getting the same plant because it was oh, made as a right. cross. So that's right. we generally start with um, start with new seeds every year. Okay, okay. So um, what's your biggest challenge? You said fundraising probably? Yeah, it, that really that really is the biggest challenge. Um, I'm always welcoming more volunteers. We've, we've got it at a level where we can manage it, but we're always happy to have new people. And people go through changes in their life, so sometimes we'll have mm-hmm. a volunteer for six months or a year, and then, you know, something happens and they... So you're talking about your your hardcore volunteers that come out and... The ones that, the ones that are going to come out once a week. That's such an important group right. to me. Right, because you don't have to reinvent the wheel for them, and they... Right, and, and, and they're, they're, it's the relationships and everything else. So we're But we're very happy to have, have more, and more people means we could be more efficient at some things and, and even maybe consider moving towards some more organic methods if we have more hands around mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. turn the compost piles and things like that. So the decision to expand would be, the next step would be a greenhouse, another greenhouse, or would it be more planning room or a little of both? It's, it's really going to depend on 
what you know what the nature center decides I, I we've already talked practically about adding another greenhouse which would be just converting some existing nursery space into a greenhouse the garden itself really doesn't have expansion room so mm-hmm. we've got a we i think folk goals for the future would be focusing on how to improve um partly aesthetics and and partly functionality how to improve the existing garden on the property because i there's not there's not a, a way to make it bigger and, and maybe also become always more efficient in, in the crops mm-hmm, that we grow. Mm-hmm. So that would be our, that'd be our focus. Well, I mean, I wish this was a television because the garden, I mean, I wish I could show you a picture. There's a lot of cool, like funky art and stuff. Where does all that stuff come from? That's, um, I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I saw a movie once, which I recommend to anybody. It's called a man called Pearl. Oh, it's about that. Pearl Fryer in yes. South Carolina. And that was, that was kind of an inspiration for me because, um, in addition to his gardening techniques, he's got just a whole bunch of, I think, what he calls kind of junk art. Right. Um, and I don't personally make this, but I had some experience when I was teaching having students make mosaics on the tops of our planters. So I actually am pretty good with that. And so what we've been doing is as we've had, especially young people groups looking for projects, I've kind of, a lot of them are scout groups, um, kind of encouraged them to think about making us some things just to kind of donate to the garden. So we've got mosaic bird baths and we've got some mosaic numbers. So I've helped a little bit with that. We got a, a troop that made a bunch of, I, I can't wait to see them. It was kind of a crazy day putting together, but they, they made some decorative birdhouses that I think are going to be mounted on rebar sticks. And we're going to put those, those around our planters. And do, I've you got want a, the, do you want the birds in your garden? Uh, oh, birds are great. Birds are yeah. going to eat insects. And that's why we have the bath. It's great to have birds right. in the garden. Right. Um, so I can't wait to see these houses. And then we've got another group coming in, a National Charity League group, that's going to be making us scarecrows that we're going to be putting up for Harvest on the Hooch. So oh, that'll, that'll be really neat. And I, neat. Yeah, and I just, we're going to provide the poles and the straw, but they um, they get their own creative license in what they're going to make. And they did it last year. They looked, yeah. they lasted for a while. Right. Um, so I, I love that. And we have, we have scout groups that are often approaching us looking for some kind of team building or project. And, and so we try to give suggestions and then just let them go with it. I had girls also this year, they painted all our tomato poles. That was a project for some younger scouts. So I, I picked the color palette, but they were out there spray painting on sawhorses, and we have had the best-looking tomato poles. Uh, yeah, anyway. that, I mean, the garden is, is just really delightful, and it's just uh, listeners anywhere. I mean, this is – it's a new garden, and it can be done, and it's just such a value – to our community and I'm just really proud that you've gotten so involved because I think the garden would you know you've taken it to heights that you know I don't know if the nature center ever envisioned how much people would enjoy that garden and what a value it is so I really appreciate it every time I'm there thanks so you're doing some things um, also at Brumby yeah, this is a new thing, and it's something that may um, be a way that we're, we may transition the garden over time to trying to use it a little bit more for education. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've stuck our toe in the water with a few projects, and one of them is we're going to be partnering with um, Brumby Elementary mm-hmm. School, which is in Cobb County, and they've, they've got a gardening program going on after school. So we're going to be bringing – I'm going to be doing it, but I may have some volunteers – 
we're going to be bringing plants over and helping them with their garden. That's great. And is that a junior master gardener program? There are, I believe it is. I haven't yeah, met I the master I, gardener there. Yeah, but. I think some of our cop gardeners work there. Libby, it's been a pleasure having you here and learning about the Unity Garden. And um, we're looking forward to hopefully getting some sponsors and more interest in this type of gardening. Um, this is Cheryl Linker, and we'll see you next week. Have a safe week. Back with the Master Gardener Hour.